Hey everyone, welcome to The Anxious Pineapple, a show dedicated to getting curious about our good friend anxiety. My name is Kayla Chorley, your host and anxious therapist. A friendly reminder that this podcast is in no way a substitute for therapy and does not constitute therapeutic advice. This is simply for informational purposes only. I encourage you to follow up with your own therapist or medical doctor for professional support and advice. Hey friends, welcome to another episode. I'm so pumped to have you here. On today's episode, we spend time with one of the coolest people I've ever met, Susan Rogendorf. Not only because she has a mohawk, but also because she has a wealth of knowledge. And we talk about things like self-worth, which is essentially the idea of how we interpret our own value. Susan speaks to this idea as it relates to the LGBTQ plus queer community. And she also talks about the internal and external factors that contribute to self-worth, including the anxiety that comes with being a part of a marginalized community. We're going to discuss how you can be an ally to the queer community without compromising your own comfort zone. I know I learned so much from Susan during this episode, and I know you will too. So whether you are a part of the queer community or you want to be a better ally to the queer community, this episode is definitely for you. Before we begin, let me tell you a bit about Susan. Susan Rogendorf is a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois and a licensed mental health counselor in Iowa. She's the LGBTQ plus owner of Colfet Counseling Services in the Quad Cities. Susan works with folks living with anxiety in her LGBTQIA2S community. She's also currently in certification to expand her work with first responders grappling with anxiety. I think that's a huge thing that we need. First responders are amazing, especially during COVID. Susan's passionate about being an advocate of education and support while helping her clients build tools to cope with anxiety. All right, friends, let's do this. Thanks for listening. I hope you learned something today about your own anxiety. If you have questions that you would like answered about anxiety on this podcast, connect with me on Instagram. My handle is at pineapplethepyeg. Enjoyed this podcast and want to help make mental health more accessible? Spread the love by following it, liking it, rating it, and taking it out for dinner. (laughs) Just kidding. Hi, Susan. Good morning, Kayla. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I don't know if you're still sweltering in Edmonton, but here in the Midwest, we're looking at a stretch of very long sweltering summer days. So, <laughs> we're uh, luckily we are not. We can't handle it. We we don't deal with heat. <laughs> we're used you to know. like minus forty, but not like plus forty. <laughs> I was gonna say I I remember Edmonton. It was a beautiful area, but it didn't seem like it got very hot very often. And uh, <laughs> and I think about all the heat wave and that, especially out west in the United States. You know. portions of our west are on fire because of the 20-year drought and uh, I'm you know it's amazing because we get the haze from the smoke all the way out from the west because of the jet stream and I keep thinking about you guys hoping that you're doing okay because I have friends that also live up in Canada so hopefully everybody is well too
Thanks so much for thinking of us. And you know what? I hope everyone south of the border is safe and well too. Today's topic is self-worth. And honestly, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that term, (laughs) I would be living a life of luxury in Hawaii right now. (laughs) I hear my friends talk about it. I hear my family members talk about it. Obviously, clients that I work with refer to self-worth. I hear it a lot, but I think there's still some confusion around what exactly it is. So if I had to define self-worth, I'd say it's really how we sense our own value or worth as a person. I'm curious, do you see this come up frequently in your work as well? Well, it's something that always comes up in therapy. Um, it's mm-hmm. also something that comes up with my friends and family and coworkers. Um, I know that in the United States, um, a lot of us, the second question most people ask us is, what do you do? Meaning, mm-hmm. what's your career? What do you, what do you do for a living? Because that defines a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do well at our jobs, people's self-worth kind of get lower. You know, if, if I don't think I'm doing well or I'm supposed to be loving my job or I'm supposed to be someone that is competent, but I don't feel very competent. And then pretty soon they don't value their own worth and what they're doing. Um, there's also the self-worth about being part of your family unit. You know, we grow up in a family culture. That's, that's what we are as human beings. You know, Mm -hmm. um, Freud had some way out wacky ideas, but he was true about, you know, we pretty much learn what we live. And if you have family that say, you know, because you're gay, you have no self-worth, you have no worth Mm -hmm. to us. How do you believe in yourself? How do you believe that you can value yourself? Um, that's also true for gender. If you're not the firstborn male, what worth do you have to us? And that happens in many cultures around the world. So self-worth is kind of this squishy thing that it depends on where you're coming from, where you live. And from there, how do you view your own self? So it sounds like we get a lot of feedback from our environment and people Mm -hmm. in our lives. And that's kind of how we build this idea of what is our value. Absolutely. You know, and when your self-worth is wobbly, Um, that's when the anxiety can take over and make it worse. So it sounds like there's like a strong connection between anxiety and self-worth. And a lot of people that I've seen, maybe for yourself too. um, Yeah. I mean, that's usually maybe 30 minutes into a session, we start talking about, so how do you see yourself? What, What are you good at? What do you, what do you consider something you can contribute? And some of the questions, the, some of the, um, answers I get to the question are just heartbreaking because they don't see it. Yeah. I often do an activity with my clients where I get them to think of a friend and write a list of qualities they see in that friend or or things that friend possesses that they feel are valuable. And it's interesting because they're very capable of writing a, a very long, extensive list for their friends. But then when we turn it around and say, hey, let's create a list for you, the list is often much shorter. So it seems like we're very capable of looking to others and seeing others' worth and value. But when it comes to looking at ourselves and our own self-worth, that seems to be much more of a challenge to navigate. Absolutely. And when you have outside circumstances that influence that, you know, you grow up and, and you, and you struggle, you know, you try to find your own worth and then sometimes you don't find it like what we're talking about. And then the anxiety kicks in and then the critic and 
the interior critic, the person that tells you that maybe you're not as great as you think you are, that suddenly gets more strength from the anxiety. And then, like I said, the outside circumstances, because you have persons that may not believe that you have worth as a human being because of your gender or because of who you are not matching the outside and the person that you love or the work that you do, or even the things that you believe in that make it worthwhile to be a human being, like even in politics. So that reinforces that low self-worth, that, you know, lack of self-esteem. So it's, it's a hard battle for a lot of people. Absolutely. Now, if you're dealing with someone who is a part of the LGBTQ community and they say, I'm dealing with this issue where people in my life are not affirming, it's really impacted my self-worth. How do you navigate that? What's kind of the next steps for that? Um, well, I, first of all, I can identify. I'm a queer female. I'm cis. I identified, you know, my gender as cis female, um, but I am queer, um, pansexual, and I make no bounds about letting people know that because I'm not ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and being part of that community, we find strength from those persons around us in our community. Basically, you know, I have to ask them, you know, where are you getting your strength from? Where are you getting someone who can support you, whether it's a personal friend or a family member that does see you for your worth? Mm-hmm. Um, in the LGBT community, you know, there's also, you know, like any other group, human beings like to categorize one another. So we understand and recognize what you are and who you are. So yes. sometimes even within the community, there's some issues about seeing others as equal. So sometimes it's kind of tricky navigating that. But usually what I do is, is talk to my client and say, all right, where are you drawing your strength from? Who is it that provides that safe space for you to be you? Let's talk about what that does for you. And let's figure out where there's some additional options here that maybe you can look at to get additional support while you're working on it in session. And let's figure out if what they told you is the truth or it's just their opinion. You know, let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's do the internal inventory of how you feel about yourself and where does that match up? And I imagine therapy can be that safe space where they're able to be themselves. Absolutely. You know, and that is something, the first thing I tell my clients is this is your space. You know, my job is not to judge you. It's not to be disappointed. It's not to, you know, take you to task because you didn't do the quote unquote homework that I assigned you from the last session. Um, if you need to cry, it's okay. Please don't apologize for crying. It's okay. Um, if you need to get angry and say things that you're afraid to say in another space, that's okay here. I'm not going to take it personally. Um, Mm -hmm. we'll talk about why you feel like that, but I'm not going to judge you for it. And I'm, I'm not going to kick you out because you're using profanity because let me tell you, I can drop the F bomb like anybody else. So, (laughs) you know, and it's, and it's, it's making sure they understand that this truly is a safe space. I mean, in the United States, we have the HIPAA federal law of privacy. So there has to be a lot of hoops for people to jump through in order to get information anyway. And my client has to give me permission, written permission to speak to anyone. And even that information can be curtailed to what that client wants. So between the federal law and my ethics as a therapist, I'm going to continue to protect that safe space for my clients. Now, I've been watching the shifting political climate in the United States over the last few years. It's been kind of a roller coaster. But I'm curious, what do you believe are the roles of things like politics and society in how anxiety shows up in the LGBTQ plus community? Well, first of all, you're worried about your own safety. Yes. You know, are, are you going to be attacked physically? Um, and it's not just the LGBT community. It's also persons of color. 
Yes. You know, I have family and friends of color that I'm always kind of in the back of my mind concerned about what's going on politically and in our environments in the community. Are they going to be okay? Are they safe? Um, so if you've got LGBT community and on top of that, you're a person of color um, and on top of that, maybe you're transitioning. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. The anxiety just goes through the roof for my clients mm-hmm. uh, because it's about safety first and foremost. Um even if you're of a political bent that is not for the whatever administration is in office one way or the other, mm-hmm. you know, there's an anxiety there of being seen as the outcast or maybe the enemy. Yeah. So that can drive some of the anxiety up as well for LGBT community. So there's, again, it's so hard to say that, the, you know, A plus B equals anxiety and worries and, and dealing with your low self-esteem because not everybody fits a formula. Yes, yes. There's so many individualized factors that come in. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine, you know, depending on where you are or who's in your life, it really impacts how you feel about yourself and your and your value. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you know, us as therapists deal with our own set of anxieties. Um, mm-hmm. Most persons of in the community of therapists, some of them have gone through their own therapy, which I have. And again, I'm completely honest with that with my clients and anybody who wants to listen to me, which after about 10 minutes, people are like, okay, I need a new drink. I'm going to go and see what's at the buffet bar. Thanks, Susan. You know, <laughs> but, I love that. Uh, but you know, for me, it's about letting people know it's to have these feelings. It's normal to question. It's not normal to want to, you know, sit in a room and listen to those voices that tell you you're not good enough. You know, and there's people out there to help. I mean, my last therapy session was probably about 10 years ago, but I started, I'm a bit of a dinosaur, I'm 54. You know, I started in my 20s and it was the best thing I ever did for myself. It was scary. And I tell my clients, it's okay to be scared because when I first walked into therapy, um, somebody who was not out at the time, I was trying to fit into heteronormative. You know, I I basically told the first therapist I met, you're not going to change me. I'm going to stay the way I am. I may be, you know, I just want to deal with this anxiety. That's all I need to deal with. Um, And they kind of looked at me and like, let's talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, oh, fine. I'll give you a little bit. And then because this therapist was amazing, um, she really was able to get to what was kind of going on for me. And mainly because it was a safe space. And I could talk about my feelings of being queer at that time, even though I was not ready to take that step out and be part of my LGBT community, just wasn't ready. And that's what I talk to my clients about too, that come in from our community that they may be out to just a few people or a few friends or maybe just mm-hmm. coworkers, depends on their circumstances, mm-hmm. but it's okay to be anxious about taking the next step. It's okay to try to figure out what are you going to do with all these feelings and that, and please, it's normal to feel like this. It's okay. Yes. Yeah, I really appreciate that perspective is we're not trying to get rid of the anxiety. If it's there, that's fine. You can still Mm -hmm. move forward with it. And it makes perfect sense given the context of of what's going on for for this particular client or person. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and that's why I love your podcast. Um, With everything that you talk about, it flows in a lot with my philosophy and, and the way I deal with treatment with my clients. And I let them know, we're not going to get rid of anxiety. This is part of the human existence. It's been with us since we've been walking around trying to figure out if we like that cave better than the other cave mm-hmm. and whether that thing is going to eat us or do we get to eat that thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
it's about learning to reduce the interruptions that anxiety brings us, whether it's appropriate or not, um, and how to live with it so that you know that, yeah, this is kind of annoying, but I also know it's only temporary mm -hmm. and things will settle down a little bit. Or if it's really disruptive, I need to go speak to somebody about this because my coping skills are non-existent or they're, they're failing me somehow. Yes. I love that. Reduce the disruptions. Anxiety still might be there, but let's work together to see how we can decrease the amount of disruptions it causes. So if someone in the queer community is looking for a therapist, what advice would you give them in finding someone who may be a good fit? Um, unfortunately, there are times where persons say that they are an ally of the community. Yeah. And that word ally, like a lot of words in our English language can mean different things to different people. Mm -hmm. I would first, you know, see if you can give them a call. And I do 15 minute free consultation calls with people because I want to make sure I understand what it is they need. And if they have questions, I want to answer that for them before they can make a commitment one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And that's what I encourage all my clients to do. And even persons who are even thinking about therapy, and they may be in our community of LGBTQ plus, call them talk to them. What do they mean by ally? What are they doing to support the community? What are they doing to support their clients? That connection is so important to establish to make sure they are truly an ally. So how can someone be an ally? What would that look like? For me, it was talking to my therapist and just point blank asking. So if you have someone gay in your family, what does that look like to you and how do you support them? Mm-hmm. And my therapist at the time said, well, it's hard in our communities to deal with the fact that you're not seen as conforming to whatever the norm is that we're saying is the norm. And that's too bad, but I'm going to be there if they need a place to stay. If they need support emotionally, I am there to talk to them. I'm happy to help them figure out what community resources are. Um, this person was also involved in different committees about improving diversity within our community, including persons mm -hmm. of color as well as LGBT community. So I think it depends on what's important to the client yes. and what they want their therapist to also see as being supportive to. What a fantastic question to ask. I would have never thought about that, but it's true. You would learn so much about a therapist and how they would work with clients based on what they would do if there was a member of the queer community in their own family. Now, if there are any therapists listening to this episode, how would you say they can improve upon their own practice to really show up for the queer community as a genuine ally? I think that you have had the education. If there are certification trainings that you want to go through and increase your knowledge, if you're not part of the community, and or if you are part of the community and you just don't know enough about a certain sector of what new developments are coming up for like, you know, healthcare for trans persons, um, what types of new resources are out there for persons in the LGBT community, go out and seek it and do it and make sure you put it up there wherever it is that you talk about your practice. Um, certainly in your networking, try to reach out to persons who are definitely doing their practice with LGBT community, talk to them about supporting each other as well as supporting your clients. Um, and again, it just depends on where you're coming from your, from your perspective of what is important to you in being an ally and making sure that I'm providing what best care I feel is best for my clients. Mm -hmm. 
So networking, connecting with the community, making sure that you're doing research, you're not relying on your clients to tell you everything might be a really nice place to start. Would you say it's necessary to be visible in the community as well? It depends on the person's comfort level. You know, I can't Mm -hmm. say that you should do this because as a therapist, I don't want to tell people what to do, but I want to (laughs) offer them options of things that they could consider to do. You know, you have to do what's comfortable for you because even though we talk about getting outside our comfort zone, a lot of us don't do well when we're outside of our comfort zone because Mm -hmm. we don't have the tools to do it well. And that creates more anxiety for us. Yes. So maybe doing something that you do feel comfortable with so that if a new opportunity pops up, that maybe just be a little bit out of your reach of comfort, but you think, yeah, I I think I can do this because it's something similar to what I've done before, then by all means do it. I like that. So no pressure to do anything that's really far out of reach out of your comfort zone, but make sure that you are showing up in a genuine fashion and as a true ally. Absolutely. I mean, even if it's just making sure people understand that you don't want your client educating you, you know, Mm -hmm. you should be educated yourself before they shouldn't spend their session telling you what this means to be trans from, you know, from female to male, male to female. It shouldn't be somebody that wants to talk about, you know, their feelings about being non-binary, but they have to educate you about what that means. Mm -hmm. You know, you should be educated at least if you're going to be reaching out to a specific community. That's the same thing with decolonization of therapy and persons of color as well. Um, So, you know, there's a lot wrapped up in making sure you're ready to be that ally and to be that therapist for that group. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, you know, for me, I don't want my client having to educate me for most of their session because that's not a good use of their session in my feelings. I would agree with that for sure. So if someone was to come to you and say, you know, I've been struggling with low self-worth, what sort of practical tools or advice would you give them on how to kind of build up their self-worth? Well, you know, we talked about just a little bit earlier about, you know, let's talk about your friend and what, you know, aspects you think that are worthy of them. And I have them turn it around on them. You know, you say this about your friend and you listed 12 things, you came up with two. Mm -hmm. In looking at this list of this, you know, hypothetical friend, or maybe your real friend, why wouldn't these fit you? And I want, and I want to see, you know, I, I love column comparison. I would like to see where you think you can fill in the column on your side with maybe not that exact thing, but something comparable to it. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about why you feel uncomfortable about that not really being worth and see if it truly is what you think it is, or if it's a perception someone has laid on you that you've accepted as truth. Yes. What a powerful thought. I've also heard that our thoughts are not our own thoughts. And when I first heard that, I was like, what does that even mean? But it's the idea that unhelpful thoughts often come from external sources. So maybe from people in our lives, perhaps they've told us these things, society as a whole might contribute to this, or even things like media. You know, and part of that too, excuse me, like you said, you know, media this is something that we talk about a lot in almost every session I have with every client is talking Mm -hmm. about how people feel bad that they don't measure up to this ideal. And it didn't come from their family necessarily. It came from media and media is everything, you know, this is for, you know, pre millennial, we'll go pre millennial. So for those of in Gen X and boomers and everything else, you know, that used to be just movies, 
television shows, things that you read, you're inundated with social media and the mm -hmm. multitude of social platforms you belong to, as well as the rest of the media that comes in and says, this is heteronormative, you need to fit this ideal. And if you don't, then you're not worthy. Yes. So that plays a huge part, especially in, I want to say a lot of places in the world, obviously media is going to affect you one way or the other, but especially mm -hmm. in the United States, at least that's my experience. And that's the only thing I can talk to. But yes. when you feel bad because you know, you have these thoughts and we find out that, well, you've been ingesting all this information from all these sources and you're inundated with it. It's kind of hard not to think like that. And that's why we need to think about, you know, human beings being the only creature, I think, in the world that we know of right now that thinks about thinking. We need to think about these thoughts mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and let's change that. Yes. And I'm sure you'll agree with me when I say this, but I feel like society needs to shift generally and how they present the LGBTQ plus community, as well as any disenfranchised community. Absolutely. And maybe we can use media to change that. Um, mm -hmm. In a lot of postings that I do, um, there is a series on YouTube that talks about media and how it portrays stereotypes and it's yeah. perpetuated them. But how is it changing? Is it changing at all? And they go into depth in various areas. And it's very helpful for a lot of my clients to say, you know, I saw that and I never really thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, it's, you know, it's easier when you have, you know, someone showing you those examples and you think, wow, I watched that and didn't even, didn't even question it, yes. you know, and it's, and it goes for everything, whether it's gender, whether it's person of color, whether it's LGBTQ plus community, whether it's politics. I mean, it, it's just so mm -hmm. much that we don't even question because it's put before us as entertainment or mm -hmm. infotainment and we just sort of turn that part of our critical thinking skills off in our brain and we just kind of veg and yeah. that's why it's good to use media to call out media i think a lot of times people go oh i get it now and think about what we're ingesting when we consume that media we're being told to fit into a certain mold and if we don't we aren't as valuable as those that do we're told what to sound like, we're told what to look like, we're told what our lives should be. <laughs> the pressure and shame that comes with that is incredibly overwhelming. And I can't imagine the additional struggle that would be present if that ideal doesn't represent who you are. Exactly. I mean, you know, and that's why, you know, it's a big thing now that we really need to work on decolonization of therapy. You know, because it should start there about helping the person of color to work towards feeling better self-worth. You know, it's important yes. that we turn around and make sure that the person who doesn't fit the, you know, this is what you need to be as a heteronormative person sees that that's not true, that they have worth as just being the good human being they are. And honestly, when I talk to persons, whether they're in session with me or they're just people that I know, you know, and I tell them, but, you know, you're a good human being. You really are. You know, you do these things and they're important. And the looks on their faces, it's like they've never heard that before because they don't measure up to the ideal of what they're carrying around. It's like, that's not true. That's not yes. true. You're standing in front of me and I'm seeing it. And I'm not thinking that you don't fit, you know, whatever ad came out about what, you know, you should look like or how you should be. Because I've mm -hmm. seen you. I've seen you work with other people. I've seen the work that you do. I see how you are and what you care about.
I love that. That is so beautiful. I can imagine being told that you are worthy just for being the person you are for the first time is both welcoming, but also a little bit uncomfortable. As a lot of my clients say, oh, I'm paying you to tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) To which I tell them, you know, if you see my picture, I I have a mohawk and, you know, and I look at them, I said, does this hairstyle tell you I'm going to sugarcoat things and tell you things you really think you want to hear? They usually end up saying no, um, <laughs> but I use the same line to my friends and my coworkers too. You know, look at the mohawk. That's going to be the first indicator that I don't sugarcoat things. And I'm not going to tell you something just because I think you want to hear that. Yes. And we talk about what was it that made you uncomfortable hearing that? And usually when I talk to persons again, no matter where they're at, it's because I haven't heard that before. Yes. How can I believe it if I haven't heard that or I haven't heard it very often or maybe the person that told me that before wanted something from me. Yes, that is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that because I know a lot of people probably don't hear that very frequently. And so I'm sure there's some people that are listening that really needed to hear that in this moment. So thank you. You're welcome. And, I, and it was something I truly believe. I mean, nobody is perfect. Lord knows I've got a great mohawk, but you know, I am not perfect whatsoever. The hair is perfect, <laughs> but I'm not. Um, <laughs> And that's okay because as human beings, we're going to make mistakes. How do we learn anything if we if we're not if we're not learning about stuff that we weren't good at? That's okay, but it's also making sure we don't carry that along with us and it gets in our way because we're afraid to try new things because we weren't good at this one thing, and therefore we're not probably a really great person because we're not perfect like we've been told we need to be by whatever source it is that told us, and we weren't told enough that you're a good person. You've got a good heart. You care about things that other, a lot of other people care about too. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not out there actively trying to destroy things. You're, you're trying to build things or you're trying to create relationships or you're supporting persons that may not be understood really well. You know, there's some component of everybody that should stand out to them that there's something human that you're doing for another human and it's humane and it's it's something that creates the world experience around us so that we can keep moving forward every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that so much. And you know, the one thing talking to you, Susan, is I feel so safe and I'm sure your clients feel that too. They are incredibly lucky to work with you. Well, thank you. Uh, and I, I really appreciate being here and talking about this because like I said, with your podcast, so much of it resonates with me. So much kind of fits into what I talk about with my clients and I hope they do feel safe with me. Um, and I hope that I provide the time and the energy to give back to them because that's the other thing about therapy is that while telehealth is phenomenal, I am, I, I am so grateful for the technology in the past year to be able to mm-hmm. stay connected with my clients Um, and to find new persons who have been struggling. And this is a means we can do that. There's something about the in-person sessions where you sit with them and you provide as much energy back to them as they give you. Yes. And, you know, I, I hope, I hope persons understand that most therapy sessions should be like that. You should be able to go to someone who is a licensed trained professional that has opened their door to you And you feel safe to walk in, you feel safe to sit down, or you feel safe to open up your computer program and talk to them about things that aren't comfortable Mm -hmm. and know that you're safe in doing so. And that I'm hoping, even though it may be a hard session, 
you know, I always ask my clients at the end, you know, what has been helpful in session for you today? Mainly because I want to understand what they got from it. Yeah. And usually it's, I feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little more hopeful. And that, that to me is a win. Yes. Hope is such an incredible and powerful thing. Hope just keeps us going in those darkest moments. So I know I've asked you a whole bunch of questions, <laughs> but are there any last words or any last thoughts that you have for listeners? Oh, there's so much. Uh, it would take another <laughs> half hour to talk about. Uh, the first thing is, you know, it's exactly what I said before. You know, people are decent human beings. I mean, you see this in just the littlest things that, you know, people will hold a door for someone who's got their arms full. You know, you don't know this person. They're out in the street and you're struggling with packages, but they'll hold a door open for you or they'll hold the elevator open for you. Or they'll, you know, tell you, you know, be careful. I see something over here, you know, like a car or something coming by. Just wait a second. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I see the littlest things about people reaching out. And that means you're a decent human being. That means that, yeah, there may not be a lot going on that's great in your life or you, you're not perfect. That's okay. It's okay. You're a human being. You're allowed to have imperfections. You're allowed to make mistakes and learn from them. It's not okay to tell yourself I'm not worth it because I don't meet this ideal. You know, mm-hmm. please don't carry that around. Find something about yourself today, even if it's the smallest thing like, you know, I can keep a plant alive. You know, honestly, that's a big deal because I can kill a cactus as soon as I look at it. <laughs> but it's important because you're nourishing another object or, you know, I, I take time to talk to my neighbor because they don't have a lot of visitors or maybe they are moved far away from their family. And we just chat a few minutes every once in a while. That's reaching out to another human being. You have worth mm-hmm. because you provide something to someone else or something else that makes your life, <clears throat> excuse me, your life better or someone else's life better. Mm-hmm. Um, for the LGBT community, look for resources. Oh, please. Oh, please. That's why the internet was probably invented was to help us connect with one another so much better. And that includes the LBGQ community. If you mm-hmm. have questions about gender identity, if you have questions about getting medical help from a clinic that's LBGQ friendly, mm-hmm. uh, look to your internet and start Googling resources around you that you can go to persons who are trusted professionals who are definitely identified as allies. Um, that's usually the biggest anxiety when I talk to my clients and friends and family that are, you know, exploring who do I trust? Because the medical community can be dismissive at best. Yes. Um, yes. And it's scary. Um, and make sure that if you have something local, you don't necessarily have to participate in the big events and things like that. But if mm-hmm. you want to participate in like, you know, small support groups that a lot of different resource organizations have, um, do that so that you get at least a little bit of connection, at least maybe with one or two persons in -hmm. that group setting. Um, You know, certainly keep abreast of information. You know, you can do that through reliable new sources about legislation for human rights. That's important as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm lucky because I have several different organizations in my community here in the Quad Cities. Um, and they do a great job at getting people connected in the LGBT community and providing education for those who may not know enough about it. It sounds like there is a plethora of resources out there. You just got to do a little digging. <laughs> resources are the key. They're out there. We just, you know, you just have to get on Google and, you know, let it find it for you and just make yeah. sure that you ask questions. You know, you have every right to ask a question if you're not sure. And you want to be you know, certain that you're talking to someone you can trust, ask your questions. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. 
So Susan, what would you like listeners to get curious about this week? I hope that they would get curious about what their existence provides outward to other human beings and realize have self-worth that they may not realize is there. Get curious about what it is about yourself that you feel really good about. And in, even if it doesn't fit the ideal, that still means it's worthwhile. That still means that you are a person of worth. That means that you're a decent human being. Yes, that's so powerful. Susan, I'm so thankful to have had you here on the show with us. I've learned a lot and I know listeners will learn a lot. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom and your um, energy with us today. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Thank you so much, Kayla, for having me again. I I guess I'm a bit of a fangirl because I just I talk (laughs) about your podcast to everybody because it's such an important component, again, of utilizing resources and understanding that this is a human condition. It's not something weird. It's not something unusual. And it's something to help, you know, everybody hates that term normalized, but it's helpful because we want to make sure people know this feeling is normal. And you provide that, that resource for people to tap into and say, oh, I was feeling kind of weird, but man, she's weirder than I am. I guess I'm doing okay. Thanks for listening. I hope you learned something today about your own anxiety. If you have questions that you would like answered about anxiety on this podcast, connect with me on Instagram. My handle is at pineapplethepyeg. Enjoyed this podcast and want to help make mental health more accessible? Spread the love by following it, liking it, rating it, and taking it out for dinner. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs>